right, welcome back to the room. Hopefully you're, uh, you're recaffeinated and ready to go again. And if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Well, as we begin, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the word of the cross, that is the message about Jesus dying on a cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of God to save. Isn't that interesting? Uh, two people can see the same event. And one person can ascribe to that event great meaning. And another person can look at the same event in the same circumstances under the same situation and they can see something and ascribe to that something, something totally different. I was uh, 17 before I, I became a Christian. I grew up in a Catholic background. And just to be real honest, I, I didn't even really believe there was a God and really considered myself an atheist. And yet my family, it was our tradition to show up for Christmas and Easter and a couple of other uh, services during the year. And I would have been in this camp right here that for the message of the cross is foolishness uh, to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God to save. It's a beautiful thing. And it took the right set of circumstances and conditions in my life for me to sort of lift my gaze upward and see that uh, that I needed someone. I needed someone. I, there was, I was uh, feeling a sense of emptiness, a sense of loneliness, a sense of purposelessness. I felt a real sense of guilt and shame for the immoral life that I had been living. And I didn't know what to do with all that. And so for me, the message of the cross was foolishness until the circumstances got to a point where I cried out and asked God if He was real and if He would show me. And as He made Himself known to me, I heard the message of the cross. And it was beautiful to me. It was so beautiful to me that I, I uh, experienced this rebirth. Experienced a new life, a new change. A new hope, a new joy, a new experience in every way. Paul said the word of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe it. And statistically... Within 20 minutes of this location right here, seven out of ten people would be in the same position that I was in, that the message of the cross is foolishness. You drove down the street this morning. You passed by people who were jogging and going to coffee or, or having an Easter egg hunt or opening up uh, bunnies and stuff. You know, um, Their Easter Sunday morning has nothing at all to do with Jesus and the resurrection. Even in this room, you might have been brought along uh, like I was, as just sort of a family appeasement, sort of make parents or grandparents happy, or uh, even to some in this room, the message of the cross is foolishness. It doesn't mean anything. It's just sort of something that we do on a calendar and there's not a real relationship with Jesus or even a real appreciation for what the cross means and, and what he did. So when Paul says that the message of the cross is beautiful for those of us who are being saved, we understand what that means. Those who have been saved. It's an unusual thing to reverence a torture instrument. Have you ever thought about that? You see somebody with a nice 
gold cross on. And you, if you were from another planet and you had no idea what that was about, you would ask him, what, what's with the cross? Oh, it's a torture device. They nail criminals to it. Why are you wearing that, right? Well, I love that cross. Why do you love that cross? Well, I, I was supposed to be on that cross. I'm a sinner. Immoral from birth. Separated from God by the very fact that I was conceived. Born into a rebellious nature. What do I see in a torture device? I see myself. I see the fact that I was supposed to be on that cross. Supposed to be me. And then you learn about Jesus and you see that Jesus was this sinless person. He did wonderful things. He taught. He healed. He loved poor people. He loved sinners. He hung out with people. He made religious people furious because he ate with sinners. The Bible said he ate with tax collectors, and prostitutes, and other people that we would lump into a category of sinner. Listen, I fit into that category. So when Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness for those who don't believe, but to us who are being saved, we see in the cross, we see, I deserve to be on that cross. It was my punishment that Jesus took. There's a song that says, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid the debt I could not pay. I must have messed the lyrics up. <laughs> what is it? He did not owe. He did not owe. That's right. He paid a debt he did not owe. And in that song, we understand that Jesus, he became our substitute. I owed a debt to God. I broke and violated his laws and his, his rules, his standards. He's a holy God and he created everything and he sets the standard and and I broke that standard and so I owed a debt to him that I couldn't pay and so Jesus came along and he didn't know that debt because he had never sinned and so because of that when I see the cross I think of salvation by grace I see something I didn't deserve I didn't deserve salvation I see salvation by grace through faith as Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, that it's not by works. Otherwise, we would feel pretty proud of ourselves, wouldn't we? If you could just be good enough, if you could just follow all the right rules, if you could do all the right things and you'd never sinned, you would feel awfully proud, awfully arrogant about who you are. And yet, uh, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus alone, I see that at the cross, that I didn't deserve that death in, in my place. So when we see the cross and when we see the message a lot of us can't help but singing and, and feeling excitement and joy and gratitude over what Jesus did, to it, did for us on the cross there. So we celebrate that today. And, and we acknowledge that if there wasn't a resurrection, if Jesus isn't alive today, then we're pretty foolish people. Um, and we deserve, as Paul said, all the abuse and all the laughter and all the mockery that, that people give to us. But if, if there's a chance that Jesus was raised from the dead, and if there's a chance that He's alive today, then, then it, it matters everything. Everything is on the line about what you do with the resurrection. And so you may be here this morning and just thinking, I, you know, how long is this going to last? Uh, I just want to get home and eat some ham 
or some roast or whatever. And, uh, and I just want to kind of go through this thing. And, and yet I would just ask you just to lift your gaze a little bit and, and maybe acknowledge for just a moment that there's a chance that Jesus is resurrected, that he's alive today. Not just because I experienced that and many people around you experienced that, but based on uh, what we read in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it starts this way, but on the first day, that's a Sunday, early in the morning at dawn, they went to the tomb. These are the ladies. They're uh, going to prepare Jesus' body. You remember on the cross, he died on a Friday. It was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and uh, Sabbath started at 6 o'clock at night on a Friday. They had to have all the work done, and it was, they would have been defiled if they touched a dead body, and so they quickly prepared Jesus's body. They wrapped it real quick. They found Joseph of Arimathea and he put the body in a tomb, but it wasn't really a proper burial. A proper burial, they would have packed him with spices. They would have um, wrapped him in linen. They would have placed him on a bed uh, or a bench in a cut rock stone tomb. Uh, And a year later, they would have come back and they would have gathered the bones and put it in an ossuary. This box, I was in Israel a couple years ago and I walked into these tombs and there were boxes everywhere with these dead bones in them. But there were also benches where they would just place the body and for a year or so it would decompose. So they had to urgently do that on a Friday. And so they did that and they packed his body quickly as best they could. But they had to come back on Monday, I mean on Sunday, to to really prepare the body. And I imagine this was a... Horrible thing to look forward to. Have you ever had something dreadful that you just, it was just looming? Maybe a test coming up. Maybe your boss said, hey, can we get together next, next week? Uh, maybe you got a bill that you can't pay. Maybe there's a disciplinary issue that you have to take care of. Maybe it's a confrontation with somebody that you care about and, and you have to You have to go confront somebody or maybe somebody's going to confront you. Have you ever had a deadline or something looming out there in the future? And you just you just dreaded it, right? I imagine these ladies dreaded this. They're going to they're going to have to go and take Jesus's body with a puncture wound in it and the side of two puncture wounds in his hands and uh, blood from the crown of thorns. And and he took a beating on his back before he was crucified Probably bruising, swelling, bleeding, dried blood everywhere. They're going to have to go back in and relive this thing. And all day, Friday, in the evening, they were dreading this event. Maybe Saturday they were dreading it. Sunday comes. They just sort of want to get it over with, maybe. Well, they do that. And so they go in at early dawn. They're taking the spices and then they're all prepared. And and maybe they just want to take care of Jesus the one that they loved and followed. So as they get to the tomb, they found that the stone had been rolled away. Very common. It's a huge round stone, like a shape of a tire, and it's in kind of a trench, and they would have an opening in the cave wall, in the stone wall, and and they would just roll this big, huge, man-sized tire back and keep the animals and things out, and then they would... Uh, Roll it back over just to cover it. And so when they got there, the stone had been already rolled away. It says they were perplexed about this. I don't know if you've ever parked in a parking garage. You get to A6 or whatever. That's not my car. 
And then you walk to level two and level three, and there's a sense of wonder, where did I park my car? I don't know if they thought they had the wrong tomb or if they're, if they're just uncertain, but there's kind of that weird chaos moment of confusion. What happened? We, I know we put it, yeah, it was here. I remember that tree and I remember this was Joseph's tomb and I, they probably remembered all those things. They put it all together and they're perplexed. They're confused. Why is the stone rolled away? And as they peek in, why isn't Jesus where we left him? And while they were perplexed about this, verse 4 says, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Don't you remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day he would rise? And they remembered those words. And then returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the arrest. Now these guys are terrified. They were with Jesus on Thursday night at the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the story. Jesus is so overwhelmed with grief about what's about to happen. He's going to go to the cross. He's praying. He's asking his friends, just hang out here with me a little bit and let's pray together. And he's so overwhelmed that he's sweating and drops of blood are coming out because he... He, let's, be, let's face it, he doesn't want to go to the cross. He doesn't want to do that. Nobody in their right mind would do this. So he doesn't want to. He's even asking God, if, it's, if there's another way, can we, can we do that? If this is your will, though, if this is the cup you want me to drink, I'll drink it and I'll do what you want me to do. But, but if there's another way, I want, to, I want to find the other way. Can we explore some other options? And so Jesus is in so much grief. And then the, the Romans and the priestly guards, they all come and they invade the garden and they arrest him. Judas betrays him with a kiss. And they take Jesus away. And the Bible says all the disciples, all of his most faithful followers, they take off. They're afraid. They're terrified. They run. Only Peter follows at a distance and then he lies that he knew Jesus. Remember the story. He lied. I don't know the guy. I'm just, I don't know. He said, I, he said, I don't know him at all. And so Saturday and Sunday, the disciples are all locked away. They're fearing this is going to happen to us. We just saw Jesus tortured and die. Now they're going to come grab us, drag us out and do the same thing to us. So they're terrified. The ladies sneak out early while it's still dark. And they're getting to the tomb and they, they see that scene. They rush back and they think, let's just tell the, the, the disciples. And the disciples, some of them don't even believe it. They're, I, don't, I don't believe this has happened. But, but uh, we learn that Peter and John, they do. John outruns Peter to the tomb and he gets there. And when he gets there, he stops at the entrance. And Peter, huffing and puffing, shows up a minute or two later uh, and walks into the tomb. And it says he sees the linen cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in, and the body cloths are discarded on the side of the bench, but the face cloth has been folded neatly and placed where his head was lying. They're gathering evidence. They're seeing these clues. They come out of the tomb. And they realize that there is hope that maybe Jesus is alive. We read in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to Peter himself. He, he appeared to him and he revealed himself. He revealed himself to his disciples. And then we read this interesting passage in verse 13. 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had just happened. This is the day that they found Jesus, uh, the tomb empty. And I imagine there's like an APB or a BOLO or or modern day equivalent, like an Amber Alert. Be on the lookout for uh, Jesus. His clothes are gone in the tomb and he's... He's out there somewhere and all these people are looking for him. There's a buzz among the disciples, the 11. There's a buzz among the 72 wider number of disciples. There's probably a buzz among the guards and the priests. An investigation has been launched. All of these people are trying to find what happened to the body. Is he alive? There's all this interest. And so these two disciples, one is named Cleopas, and it's likely his wife Mary that's with him. And they're walking to a village about seven miles away. And it says in verse 15, while they're walking and talking and and discussing all of this together, Jesus himself drew near and started to walk with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now they had walked with Jesus for a long time. They they knew him. They knew what he looked like. They'd spent time with him. They knew his voice. They, They knew what he smelled like. They knew what his feet looked like when they would wash his feet or when they would see him eat. They knew what he sounded like early in the morning, right? When his voice was probably groggy. They knew what he sounded like when he was tired at the end of the day. They they might have known what he sounded like when he slept in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and he was fast asleep. They knew what his hair looked like when it wasn't fixed. They knew what his clothes looked like. They had all of these images in their mind and they knew him intimately, closely, deeply. And yet here he is on a seven mile hike walking with them, and they have no idea who this guy is. And so he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still, so they stopped walking, and they're looking sad. And verse 18 says, one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know everything that's happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's now the third day since all these things happened. And moreover, some of the women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb this morning, early. And when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a cool Bible study that would have been in, right? You got a seven mile hike with God himself, and he's just going to walk you through the scriptures and explain everything as it relates to the Messiah. And yet in all the walking and all the teaching, there was not a moment of recognition. They didn't know who he was. They had no idea who this guy was. So verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going and and Jesus pretended as though he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, please stay with us. It's the evening and the day is now far spent. 
So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he walked with us, by the way? Wasn't there something in us that said, this is, the, this is him? In our final few minutes of the message here in our time together, I want to just make an observation based on this road to Emmaus experience. It's possible that you know something about Jesus. But it's likely that you didn't know him as well as these two did. And it's likely that the Jesus they encountered was altogether different than the Jesus they had walked with for three years. Right? Uh, One of them turned around and they saw what looked to them as a gardener. Mary and the other women. And they said, where have you laid him? Assuming he was the gardener. Um, The disciples saw him on the beach in Galilee on the sea. And, and he had a charcoal fire and he was making bread and he was baking some fish, broiling some fish or whatever. And he looked out and they were fishing and he said, throw your net on the other side. And they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. Then they, they caught 153 fish and they hauled the net in and they, they realized it was the Lord and they walked over to him. And yet there was still a sense in which they didn't recognize him. It said none of them dared ask who he was. They didn't know him. They didn't recognize the new risen Jesus. Now, follow me here. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus does not change. But on his mission on earth as the son of God for redemption, he revealed a part of himself that was to accomplish the purpose. And the moment he said it is finished on that Friday on the cross and he went into the grave, Jesus came out different transformed a new person, completely revealing a different side of himself. Uh, If you were to take the time to read every word of Jesus spoken post-resurrection, I took the time to count those this week, and it's King Jesus. I mean, it's Commander Jesus. He's giving instructions. He's asking questions. He's sending them on mission. But it's not Miracle Jesus. He only does one miracle in the 40 days since... He was resurrected and all of his time is spent with the disciples and he's commanding them and he's telling them and he's instructing them and he's appearing to 500 of them at once and he's giving directions. This is commander in chief Jesus. This is Colossians Jesus that says all things have been placed under his feet and he is now at the right hand of the father Jesus. This is Revelation one Jesus who has tattooed on his thighs, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's depicted as fire coming out of his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth and the sash. This is not lowly, humble Jesus. The Jesus we follow is altogether the same, yet in his role as second uh, sitting next to the father, King Jesus is coming. This is the resurrected Jesus that Revelation describes as a lamb that was slain, but also as a lion. The disciples didn't even know this Jesus. And so I want to ask you, is there a chance that the Jesus you thought you knew is not who he is at all? Is there a chance that the flannel gram kind of white Jesus with flowy European hair, is it really who he is? I mean, isn't there a chance that kind of 
Sunday school Jesus that you grew up with that was kind of safe and, and happy isn't the same Jesus who he is? Is there the slightest chance that you've placed Jesus in sort of a religious guy circle where he's safe and at a distance and he just wants you to be happy and love people and, uh, and be like super tolerant Jesus? I mean, isn't there a chance that you haven't really got to know the real Jesus? The one who transforms people's lives. The one who leaves you changed drastically. Well, let's just say for a moment that I was late this morning. It's not a stretch for those who know me. Right? I'm always on time. I'm just always on my time. And Gibson time kind of revolves differently than everybody else's time. And, and so I'm late this morning. And as I, as I arrive just in the nick of time to preach, and I'm standing here as I am dressed, and I tell you, I'm sorry I was late. I, I was run over by a Mack truck on 309. I got hit by a truck while I was changing a flat tire and it ran me clean over and I, you know, rolled under the truck for a hundred yards and came to a stop and just barely had enough time to walk over here. And, and you see me as I am now. No one would believe that, right? Because you can't have an encounter with a Mack truck and not be different. Can you? It's just foolishness. You can't have an encounter with the living Jesus and be different and not be different, not be transformed. You can't have a heart filled with hate and, and say that you were hit by this truck, Jesus. You just There's got to be something different in your life because that's what he does. He redeems, he renews, he gives life, he gives hope, he gives forgiveness, he gives purpose. He gives direction. He gives grace when you don't deserve it. And if you're not overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, the message of the cross is foolishness to you. But to those of us who are being saved, man, it's everything. It's everything. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you that we get a chance to, to re reflect together on what it means to be transformed, what it means to know you, what it means to be redeemed, and what it means to be transformed by you. And we're just so grateful for that. We can't help but sing and praise and worship and, and thank you for our time together today. Thank you for the chance to speak to so many people in a room, many of whom might not know you, and many of whom are, are just sort of kicking the tires of Christianity and considering, could this be true? Others who have walked with you for a long time, and maybe others who have just been religious, but never really transformed. Never really have they met King Jesus. And so we ask humbly that you would reveal yourself to us, knowing that your word says in Matthew 7, that those who ask, it will be given. Those who seek will find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. That you have an open door policy to anyone who would seek you to see if these things are true or not. And so would you use this time this morning and the message of the cross to save. In Jesus' name, amen.